You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. So then I also brought, if you have children or high schoolers or you yourself want an abridged version of the Reformation and these people, I got these for Philip off of Amazon. So this is ABCs of the Reformation. I'm learning so much. It's not just key people and places, but also key themes of the Reformation, a great way to teach your children. And then, if you didn't know, but there are comic books about Katie and Luther, and they're awesome. So, you can get your kids excited about Luther and Katie, or you can yourself read them and learn um, so much from them. I I contemplated about whether I should just read the comic book on Katie Luther. Um, I'm not. Maybe I I should have. Um, And then, last week I mentioned that I would bring some Beeson magazines. Uh, our theme was on the Reformation. You can take that if you're interested. And then every Tuesday during the semester at Beeson Divinity School, we have community worship on Tuesdays at 11. And this semester, our theme is on the Reformation. Surprise, right? It's the 500th year, so um, it needs to be about the Reformation. And these chapel booklets are a devotional booklet uh, that accompany our theme. So you're welcome to take one of these if you would like. All right. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we turn to you as our teacher this morning. I thank you that you call us and commission us and involve us in your great work of the gospel. Thank you for these women. I pray that through them we will see Jesus Christ and that their lives would be an encouragement to us. In your name I pray. Amen. Before we get started on today's woman, which I chose a title that Luther uses of his wife to get to get you all here. It's provocative, right? Preacher, brewer, and wife to Luther. Um, so before we get to her, um, for those of you who were here last week and those of you who weren't, I just want to mention one thing from last week's lesson, and that's just to reiterate. So last week was on Argula von Grumbach, and the major contribution or the major theme of her writings was the authority and supremacy of God's word. God's word is truth and life. And this is radical because the Pope and the Catholic Church are not the supreme authority. God's word is the supreme authority. And she saw her world through the lens of Scripture. So she saw the, the conflict that was happening as really a spiritual conflict that was behind the scenes. And so I, I want to encourage you to seek God's word and just kind of reiterating what Andrew said this morning uh, in light of what happened this weekend and other evil acts to come. uh, We can preach a social gospel. We can preach social justice. We can march. We can have Twitter hashtags. We can do all those good things. But unless we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, evil will not be eradicated. The gospel of Jesus Christ must be preached. And so last week I said we need a reformation for today, for today's church Because when we fail to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in our mainline denominations, um, we're not only failing to give them the hope and the truth of of Jesus Christ, but we're we're truly not going to ever confront evil 
with anything else. So I just want to encourage you um, from Argula last week. Um, so today's woman is who some call the First Lady of the Reformation. And this is one uh, image of her. And then there's another one similar. Luther doesn't change. She changes. <laughs> um, so some call her the First Lady of the Reformation or the Mother of the Reformation. For after all, she was married to Martin Luther, who is called the father of the Reformation, but that title might lead you to believe that she was the first woman of the Reformation, in which case she was not. That's why I started with Argula last week. Uh, For all practical purposes, she was the first woman who took an active part in the Reformation, at least publicly. In fact, if it had not been for the prodding of Argula, Katie may have never entered the picture at all as it concerns Martin Luther. Today's lesson is as much a love story as it is a biography biography of Katie. But although Katie's contribution is much different than Argula's, so our, for those of you who weren't here last week, she uh, wrote letters, and she was a the first lobbyist of the Reformation. Um, she's really cool. And I actually relate more to Argula than I do to Katie. But I think you will find in Katie another a formidable woman who played an important role in the Reformation. So, Katharina von Bora, she's also known as Catherine or Katie, and Luther calls her Katie, so I'm going to call her Katie today. Um, she was born in 1499. Although she came from a family of past nobility, her parents no longer shared the wealth of her uh, of their former predecessors. Around the, ages, the age of five or six, she was sent to a Benedictine cloister and Brenna to be educated. So it was common for large convents to have a boarding school for girls. Um, That is where the wealthy and the nobility especially would send their girls to be educated. But at some point between the time she went to school and the time she turned 10, her mother died and her father remarried. And according to our comic book on Katie, uh, it's probable that her stepmother had an important role to play Um, It almost reads like a Cinderella story um, with an evil stepmother in the comic book. Uh, But they sent her to live permanently at a convent, another convent at the age of 10. Um, This convent is uh, where her aunt was a nun. And so at the age of 16, Katie took vows as a nun. Growing up in a convent would have meant that Katie learned Latin, she read scripture, she prayed, she sang, she studied. She also learned structure and discipline. And at some point, we're not sure when, but we know at some point Luther's writings enter into the convent. And (coughs) many of the nuns start reading his works, and they were so stirred that they wrote Luther and sought his counsel. And so I'm going to have a little excursus here uh, about one of Luther's contributions regarding marriage and what this meant for women. One of Luther's contributions was the championing of marriage and the rejection of celibacy of priests. He advocated for marriage. He urged men and women to marry for love and companionship. Did y'all know that about Luther? Um, By 1522, he emphasized love as the most important element of marriage. Luther once said that the greatest blessing is, quote, a pious, God-fearing, domesticated wife to whom one can entrust his property, even his body and life, with whom you can raise children. So positively speaking, Luther and the other reformers gave marriage in the raising of children a Christian vocation. Through them, marriage was given dignity and honor and esteem. So that's one of the positive contributions that he made um, in regard to marriage. It became a Christian vocation. 
Negatively speaking, however, the greatest consequence to Luther's rejection of celibacy, which eventually resulted in the closing of many convents, is that it took away the greatest religious opportunity for women. For women who felt called by God to serve him, the convent provided a vocational space to serve him in the realm of ecclesial ministry. Outside the convent, there was no vocational space for women in full-time ministry. Couldn't, there was no offices, no roles in the church. They couldn't go to the university and learn or teach theology. So although marriage gave women opportunities to serve Christ at home, for single women, the loss was felt more deeply. Women who left the convent had to find a new calling and a new home. But for women like Katie, who, who was forced into the convent by her family, Women like her responded differently to the Reformation than, say, women who felt a call by God to be at the convent. Leaving the convent was dangerous. It was a crime. There were serious consequences. People even lost their lives for helping nuns escape the convent. So it's very serious. But Katie, and one source says there were nine nuns, another source says there there were 12 nuns, but a group of nuns um, wanted to escape. So they wrote several people, asked them for help. They all turned them down. So then they turned to Luther himself. And Luther felt like it was his duty to help these nuns, given that it was his writings that compelled them to leave. So he devised an escape plan. It's such a cool love story. With the help of a friend who sometimes delivered barrels of herring to the nuns and then would return with the empty barrels, on the evening before Easter, so the same night Christ rose from the tomb, the nuns rose from their beds, snuck out the convent, got in the cart. Some sources say that they hid in the barrels, but more likely under uh, sheets or blankets, and they hid under the cover of the night. And he just drove all the way to Wittenberg. When they, fi- when they finally arrived, Luther felt responsible to find them husbands. So he became matchmaker Luther. Most of them married quickly, and Luther actually had eyes for one of the nuns, but she quickly married another before he could make any move. So before marriage, the women were placed in homes, and they were placed in homes to help serve the wives while he and a buddy tried to match make these women. And Katie actually spent time in three homes, two of which were Melanchthon, who is another reformer, friend of Luther, and I hope I'm saying his name right, Chronic. Lucas Chronic, he's the one who did the art. So he is the artist of the Reformation, we could say. He's the one that did all of Luther's paintings and woodcuts. Uh, He's a great figure. So she spent time in both of their homes. She actually fell in love with a student at Wittenberg, and they planned to get married. He goes home to tell his family about the plan, and when they find out that she's an ex-nun and has no dowry, they forbid him. You cannot marry Katie. So in the meantime, Katie waits for him to return for her, and he doesn't. And Luther ends up writing him a letter and says, if you don't hurry up, Katie's going to marry another man. But he didn't, and he married another woman instead. So that left Katie heartbroken, but Luther actually teased her about it later. Um, Nicholas, uh, Luther and his friend Nicholas, so this is his friend that helped with the matchmaking, they then tried to set Katie up with a pastor. And she wasn't interested. And finally, exasperated, she told them, I won't consider marrying anyone unless it's one of you. Basically, she was saying, stop trying to set me up. 
Uh, Luther was 42 years old, so maybe she really didn't think that the prospect of marriage to either, and I think Nicholas was older than Luther was, uh, I think she said it not expecting it to actually happen. Uh, but her perhaps joking declaration came at the time when Argula, so last week I mentioned this, Argula wrote a letter to Luther urging him to marry. Why? Because he's championing marriage and he He's saying that priests should not be celibate, but yet he had not taken a wife. So she urges Luther to marry, and he, within six months, decides at the age of 42 that to marry would make his dad happy, rile the Pope, make the angels laugh, the devils beep, and would seal his testimony. So he took Katie up on her offer, and they married on June 13, 1525, with four witnesses in attendance. And then two weeks later, they had the big banquet and the parade, uh, to celebrate their union. Although Luther and Katie did not marry for romantic love, their affection grew into a great love over the years. He wrote shortly after marrying Katie of his amazement to waking up and finding pigtails on the pillow next to him, which I think is really sweet. Katie married Luther knowing full well that she could die a martyr's death should her husband also die. She also knew that by marrying someone who was so such a public figure and controversial that she would probably be ridiculed and slandered just like today uh, if you're in a very public office you're going to face ridicule and judgment and so she did she had endured accusations that she and luther lived in sin before marriage but that was not nearly as bad or scandalous as the fact that an ex-monk married an ex-nun uh, for they had forsaken Christ, their first loved, and remarried another. I think that ex-monk marries ex-nun. Headline of a newspaper. Unfortunately, details about, Lu- about Katie have to be reconstructed from letters written to her by Luther. Or Luther's mentioning of her in letters to friends or in um, table talks is, is something that we have of Luther. Um, but I think that's okay. Because what we find of Katie through the lens of Luther is a picture of a man who loved his wife. And we find a picture of a husband and wife who had a marriage not that different from ours. They teased each other. They loved each other. They worried about each other. They gave each other advice. They had open communication. They urged each other to pray for one another. Uh, even a little bit of reprimand at some times. And talking even about bowel movements. I'm not going to read those letters, but uh, they had a very uh, real marriage, just like what we would find today. So, who was Katie Luther, or Catherine von, von Bora? Luther once said that, quote, In domestic affairs, I defer to Katie, otherwise I'm led by the Holy Ghost. Although, if analyzed, this quote would seem as if Luther is making a dichotomy from the realm of Christ and the earthly realm where Katie reigns, and we could critique that, but I think what he was trying to communicate is that he has two authority figures in his life, God and Katie. Katie has authority. If there were ever a literal Proverbs 31 woman, which I have not met, Katie would be as close as you could come to one. Uh, She was one of the first, and this is pretty incredible if you think about it, but she was one of the first and among the first group of women who were pastor wives. That didn't exist. In the Catholic Church, priests didn't marry. So there had never been a pastor's wife. So she's one of the first. And there had never been a parsonage where women 
assisted their minister husband with a, a parsonage. So she had one of the first and the most important parsonages in the Reformation. Their house would become a cradle for the Reformation, a safe haven where faith and theology could thrive. So she structured the house in such a way that allowed for that to happen and also allowed Luther to fully concentrate on his work and calling. Before Katie came along, Luther lived like a bachelor, what you would expect. One example that is funny but as foreign to us living 500 years later is that he didn't tend to his bed so that the straw started to decompose. So when she came along, she made sure that the straw was fresh, not decomposing. One time, Luther locked himself in his study and didn't come out for three days. And I can just imagine Katie knocking at the door, you know, making sure that he eats and is well taken care of. So what did Katie do? She had the door removed. When she entered his study, he looked at her innocently like, what? What did I do? Um, She tended to as many ailments, especially kidney stones, which he suffered from frequently. And he also suffered from depression. Early on in their marriage, the elector gave them the Augustinian cloister where Luther had lived as a monk. So on the first floor, there were 40 rooms. And um, here's what they did with this cloister. In addition to having six children, they took in six or seven nieces and nephews, orphan children, some of Katie's relatives, student boarders, foreigners, refugees, escaped nuns, and house several servants, of whom Katie managed it all. She found ways to fund all the food and medical cost of such a large operation. And in several of the letters that Luther writes Katie, he makes mention of the student boarders and some of the people that lived with him. Before Katie, Luther did not collect any honorariums for his book until Katie made sure that he did. So it's said of Luther that he wouldn't accept a lot, but he would give away uh, everything that he had. And so Katie comes along and, and says, no, we, we need this income, uh, especially to do the ministry that we're going to do. And she also helped Luther learn to say no, which was hard for him. She had a garden with peas, beans, turnips, cabbage, lettuce, cucumbers, and melons, which she both planted and reaped. She made her own butter and cheese. She had her own brewery. She maintained orchards of apples, pears, peaches, pecans, grapes, and even more than that. She remodeled the parsonage at one point, adding three cellars with an extra stairway and installed both a bath and a brewery. And then Katie, which she's so perceptive, she rightly understood that should Luther die, she would lose his income. So after pleading and even using some tears, she convinced Luther to let her purchase a property. So she purchases a farm, a family farm, um, at the town of Solstorf, if I'm saying that right, which was a two days drive away. So when she would go to the farm, she would spend three weeks. And uh, Luther teases her and calls the farm her pig market, which you will hear in a little bit. Um, at the farm, and the reason why he called it a pig market, <laughs> she raised pigs and cows and geese and chickens and pigeons. And she herded the cows, she milked the cows, and she slaughtered the animals. The land also had a small creek, which she caught fish. Y'all seeing what I mean by the Proverbs 31 woman? In 1542, we have a record that shows she had eight pigs, five cows, and nine calves. Katie also entertained, whether it was for weddings or baptisms, and at one time set the table for 125 people. She had skill with diets, herbs, massages. Her son, who later becomes a physician, praised his mother for being half a doctor. So, 
she's a brewer, she's a gardener, she's a farmer, she's uh, a finance person. She does all these things, and Luther, we see it in Luther's letters to his to his friends. Um, one, he says, my Lord Katie sends greetings. She drives the wagon, takes care of the fields, buys and puts cattle out to pasture, brews, etc. And of her brewery skills, which he compliments her on many occasions, he writes her a letter on July 29th, 1534. And he says, yesterday I drank something which did not agree with me, so that I had to sing, if I don't drink well, I have to suffer, and yet I do like to do it. I said to myself, what good wine and beer I have at home, and also what a pretty lady, or should I say Lord. You do well to ship the whole cellar full of my wine and a bottle of your beer to me here as soon as you're able. Otherwise, I will not be able to return home because of the new beer. Your loving Martin Luther. You kind of hear the teasing too, right? The love. Katie also proved to be a helpful conversation partner to her husband. In his letters to her that have survived, he fills her in on the news relating to the Reformation. So it is not as if he's doing his writings has a ministry that he doesn't share with his wife. He's sharing it with her. He once puts her in charge of appointing a pastor of a local church in his absence. She knew enough Latin and scripture to join table talks where reformers would sit around the table, talk theology, and drink beer. We know that she urged Luther to respond to Erasmus's treaty on freedom of the will, and it's possible that he would have never written that had she not persuaded him. Luther even once told a guest from England that Katie would be an excellent German language teacher for him. So as I said in the beginning, their marriage did not begin with romantic love. Um, But if that was lacking at the beginning, their love and affection would surpass it later. He called Katie his, quote, morning star of Wittenberg and named his most beloved New Testament text, Galatians, his Katie von Bora. He also said, I would not change Katie for France or for Venice, for God has given her to me, and other women have worse faults. In 1538, he said, if I should lose my Katie, I would not take another wife, though I were offered a queen. One time, when he thought she was on her deathbed, he said, don't die and leave me. So I want to quickly just read to you some of the ways he addresses his letters to Katie and also mention a, a few ways that he signs his letters because I give I think it gives a good insight into how he feels about Katie. So the first one, dear Lord, a doctor and preacher in Wittenberg, dear Sir Katie. This one signed your obedient servant Martin Luther. Dearly beloved Catherine Luther, mistress of the house at Wittenberg, signed with greetings, kisses, and hugs. God in Christ be with you, my dearly beloved Katie. To my kind, dear Lord, Lady Catherine von Bora, Mrs. Dr. Luther at Wittenberg. To my dearly beloved Katie, Mrs. Dr. Luther, to the lady at the new pig market, which is the reference to the farm. Dear Maid Katie, gracious lady of Zolstorf, and whatever other names your grace has, I wish humbly to inform your grace that I'm doing well here. I eat like a, like a bohemian and drink like a German. Thanks be to God for this. Amen. This letter he signs as Martin Luther, who loves you from his whole heart. To the wealthy lady at Zolstorf, my beloved. To my kind and dear mistress of the house, Luther's, Catherine von Bora, a preacher, a brewer, a gardener, and whatever else she is capable of doing. 
to my kind and dear Katie Luther, a brewer and a judge at the pig market at Wittenberg, to my highly learned woman, Katie Luther, my gracious mistress at the house of Wittenberg. And then this last one, to my dearly beloved mistress of the house, Catherine Luther, a doctor, the lady of Zulsdorf and of the pig market and whatever else she is capable of being, your grace knows powerless love. Although Luther teases his wife on several occasions, these illustrious titles should not be viewed as jokes or illusions, but true adoration of his wife. She had been extremely important to him, and he compliments her and praises her for the work she does. And I find the most interesting designation is that of a preacher. And just like last week, how I said the sermon fits so well with the lesson on Argula, uh, today with Zach's saying at the end that we are all preachers in our vocations. And I think that's what Luther meant here about Katie. She didn't have a public preaching ministry, but I think he recognized that she was a preacher and teacher to Luther, their children, their friends, their boarders, their guests, in the way she lived her life and in her speech, in faithfulness, integrity, and dedication to the Lord. Uh, Just like Zach said, her life was a pulpit uh, for the gospel. Her life was also a sermon of being an obedient servant to the vocation in which she was called. And I know I'm running out of time, but I'll just go quickly. Um, So they had this really loving relationship, which I think helped them when they faced the death of two of their children. And I want to share these two with you because it gives insight into the humanity of these people, but also their marriage and the way they comfort each other. So Luther and Katie uh, experienced deep heartache at the loss of two children. Their first daughter died when she was only eight months old. Two days after she died, Luther wrote to a friend, my little daughter Elizabeth is dead. I am left as weak as a woman. I would never have believed that the hearts of parents were so moved toward their children. The next child to arrive was another daughter who they named Magdalene and who they nicknamed Lincoln. Not spelled like Abraham Lincoln. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. But Luther was especially fond of Lincoln, of whom he had a painting of her on his desk. When she died at the age of 14, he wrote to a friend, I believe the report has reached you that my dearest daughter, Magdalene, has been reborn in Christ's eternal kingdom. I and my wife should only joyfully give thanks for such a felicitous departure and blessed end by which Magdalene has escaped the power of the flesh, the world, the Turk, and the devil. Yet the force of our natural love is so great that we are unable to do this without crying and grieving in our hearts or even without experiencing death ourselves. And then about a week and a half before Luther would die, um, we learn from his letters to Katie that she is worried about him, and rightfully so. He's gone off um, to do some more work. It's winter time. They try to cross a river that is flooded due to the melting of ice. She hears that he has um, had some dizzy spells. Um, but he writes to her, You, dear Katie, read John in the small catechism about which he once said, Everything in this book has been said about me. For you prefer to worry about me instead of letting God worry, as if he were not almighty and could not create ten Dr. Martins, should the old one drown in the sally or burn in the oven or perish in Wolfgang's bird trap. Free me from your worries. I have a caretaker who is better than you and all the angels. He lies in the cradle and rests on a virgin's bosom, and yet nevertheless he sits at the right hand of God, the Almighty Father. Therefore be at peace. 
think that's a good word for us to hear today. Um, even though he did die 10 days later of supposedly a heart attack on February 18, 1546, his words remind Katie and us that we can't save anyone with our worries. Only God takes care of us and God holds us in life and in death and in the life to come. She wrote her sister after Luther died and says, I'm in truth so very saddened that I cannot express my great heartache to any person and do not know how I am and feel. I can neither eat nor drink nor again sleep. If I had owned a principality or empire, I would not have felt as bad had I lost it as I did when our Lord God took from me and not only from me, but from the whole world, this dear and worthy man. I think that just seals the love and companionship that his marriage had, thanks be to God, the kind of marriage that he championed. Before he died, uh, this is amazing, he insisted that Katie be his main beneficiary and the head of the household. This was unheard of, radical for that time. In fact, after his death, uh, the lawyers of the day would not accept it. Uh, they fought and initially won so that her children would be sent away except for the youngest and that she would be stripped of all of her authority, autonomy, her wealth, and her land. But Arcadia is a strong woman with energy. I mean, you have to be to do all that she did. And she fought and eventually won, won over the chancellor. And she managed to keep all of her children except the oldest who was away at school. Melanchthon agreed to be her guardian so that she could continue to make most of her own decisions. And we have letters that have survived that she writes her friend, the King of Denmark, who was sending money uh, each month to sustain her, begging and asking for continued support. Due to wars and plague, Katie was forced to leave her home in Wittenberg, Wittenberg several times after Luther died. And she left again in 1552 with two of her children due to a plague. While on the road, she fell out of the wagon, she, rolled, she fell on her back, rolled into a cold stream, and died a couple of days later from her injuries, possibly from pneumonia, on December 20th, 1552. On her deathbed, she said, I will stick to Christ as a burr to a top coat. So, I want to end quickly with a reflection. When I first read about Katie's life, I felt a little guilty and jealous. Like Katie, in some respect, I'm married to a professor and minister of the gospel. But unlike Katie, I am not good with finances, structure, gardening, farming, purchasing land, not even good at housework or cooking. I don't know why you married me. <laughs> I definitely cannot brew beer. Um, I'm more like our woman last week, Argula, than I am Katie. But... As I reminded myself, these women are not meant to serve as models of the ideal to necessarily follow. Our ideal is Jesus Christ. They are to point us to Jesus Christ and to the gospel. Rather, I hope we see the gospel at work in these women. Um, I, I hope that we can honor them and remember them, giving dignity to their work and legacies that they leave behind. So my reflection then is, when I think of Katie's story, I think of Acts 6. And why is that so? At the beginning of Christianity, a complaint arose against the apostles that they were neglecting the needs of the widows. And they gathered and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of this spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So they 
pick seven to take care of the needs of the widows and the poor. And it's not that they were above serving in that capacity. Rather, God had called them and commissioned them to to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the very beginning of Christianity. To neglect that uh, would be to disobey Christ. And the seven that they chose, think of it, um, two of them we know, Stephen and Philip, uh, had also a ministry of the word. They were preachers. So Stephen uh, has the longest longest speech in Acts where he boldly pro- proclaims Christ before Dinamartyr's death. And who was there? Saul, um, Paul, who we know as Paul. And then Philip, as we know, is the one who explains the scriptures to an Ethiopian eunuch and baptized, them, and baptized him. So in a similar way, Luther was called by God to reform the church and to bring about a renewal of evangelical faith. Katie's role as a helper should not be easily discarded or looked down upon. Rather, because of her role, Luther was able to do all that he did later in life. And just like Stephen and Philip, who were called to serve tables and also had a ministry of the word, she too was called to serve tables and had a ministry of the word in her own way. And Luther recognized that by calling her a preacher. And so it just reminds me of Romans 12, 3 through 8 that do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members don't have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And then 1 Corinthians 12 is, is another text. So Katie reminds us to do the work that God has called us to do with faith, perseverance, faithfulness, humility, and tenacity so that the work and gospel of Jesus Christ may go forth. Do you all have any questions? I know we're out of time. Yes? Is there like one book that you would recommend if somebody wanted to get up to speed or continue with learning about Luther yeah. and Katie that would be fun, not not too academic, kind of casual, but not like a, a children's book either? <laughs> not the comic book version? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, this book by Roland Baton, this is, I checked it out at the library, but I believe you can purchase it on Amazon, is, gives, uh, portraits of Katie and, uh, so many other women. And so that's a good introduction. Uh, there is a new book on Katie that just came out, and I think by Zondervan, written by Ruth Tucker. And actually, Osvaldo knows her from, I think she, does she work at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School? I've not read it, but I did purchase it this week. Cool. So that might be another place. Yeah. Thanks. Anyone else? Okay. The Lord be with you. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.